So we're in this series called Him and Her. We've been talking about everything from the Imago Dei, the image of God, to masculinity, femininity, gen- gender, fluidity, homosexuality, um, marriage, uh, singleness. We're going to talk about sex next week. That'll be our grand conclusion of it. Uh, so this morning, though, but we're going to talk about uh, pornography. Uh, and there's a global public health crisis that's going on. And, and that's not for me, that's from the Washington Post. Uh, a writer for the Washington Post said that pornography is this global public health crisis that we're not aware of. The onset to this in, in our culture is around nine years old. So we think, oh, don't, we can't talk about certain things in front of nine-year-olds. Fine, we keep nine-year-olds in our kids' ministry. But at 10, surely they've been baptized into this reality. And if you don't think so, ask my don't do this, all right? But you can ask my son what they learned this past week at school because the sex education piece happened. So now I need to turn up my sex education program at home, which is far better than theirs, I promise you. And, um, but, but this is a reality that, that sex and, and porn, it's, it's available to, to everyone. Uh, you're watching YouTube and all of a sudden something pops up in the midst of the Teletubby weird things that you're watching. Like, don't let your kids watch those anyway. But like all of a sudden, boom, something pops up. And how did that, how did that get there? There's this global public health crisis. And, and here's how much uh, this thing is costing us per year. $97 billion around the world. Um, interesting statistic, you can feed 4.8 billion people with the amount of money that's being used globally for pornography. Uh, I was just in India for a week and a half, uh, training and equipping church planners who are killing it, doing an amazing job uh, at reaching uh, Indians in, in Andhra Pradesh, that, that state. And as I was doing research uh, for Matthew 5, which I was teaching on and I'll teach on again this morning, I realized that India is the largest consumer of pornography in the world. It's crazy. India, everyone's so nice. They wouldn't be looking at porn all the time, but, but that's reality. This is true. $97 million are used to support this. And if you get involved in this global public health crisis, it's almost impossible to stop it. Uh, look at this quote. Uh, I'm blinded by these lights this morning, which is fine. I just can't read the screen in front of me, which is not fine. So you have a big screen up here for yourselves. Here it is. It's exactly like going cold turkey. The first two weeks were pretty awful with lots of mood swings. This sounds like you know, coming off alcohol. It sounds like uh, coming off of, of some substance. It was rough. It was really rough. There were sleepless nights. There were nights where I'd wake up in cold sweats. There would be days where I'd just start shaking for no reason. My whole body was just shaking. I didn't know why. I'd have really bad anxiety. And then other days I'd feel on top of the world, be able to do anything. This isn't someone coming off of heroin. This is someone who stopped looking at pornography. This is what pornography does. It's, it's powerful. It's a new drug. But the, the thing is, it's a drug that can never satisfy you. It forces you to keep coming back for more. And when you don't, this testimony is what happens. And this isn't a Christian testimony. This is from someone who's not a follower of Jesus that's just unpacking what this drug really does. Interesting that the Bible and John Mayer say exactly the same thing when it comes to pornography. Let me start with with the Bible. Uh, I'm going to be preaching out of Matthew 5, which Brian just read, but I'm going to be using a lot of different scriptures along the way. So let me read uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. 
man, I really can't see anything. This is awesome. I'm blinded. I, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Um, this, is, this is Solomon who had hundreds of wives and concubines, sex all the time. It's like whenever he wanted sex, he could have it. Whenever he wanted naked women, he could have it. He could have whatever he wanted. And this is what he's saying. I also gathered for myself many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, all the concubines, all the women, all the wives, all the everything, bring it all together. The toil I'd expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Have you ever tried chasing wind? You shouldn't, it's dumb. It's a dumb activity to do. That's not a hobby, that's stupidity. Um, But the idea is that you can't catch the wind. You can't ever get it. And if you get it, you can't keep it. It's gone. Solomon is saying, this is what my endeavors were like. Hundreds of women, and it was all vanity and wind. John Mayer, in a pretty controversial um, interview with Playboy magazine, uh, I, I didn't put all the parts. Some of this is just really grotesque. Um, so, Andrew, since I can't read the screen, can you just help me follow along where I'm supposed to be? Thank you. Uh, John Mayer says, I'm a self-soother. Do you know who John Mayer is? I mean, he's one of the most amazing guitarists of our time. Uh, he says, I'm a self-soother. The internet, DVR, Netflix, Twitter, all these things are moments in time throughout your day when you're able to soothe yourself. We have an autonomy of comfort and pleasure. By the way, pornography? It's a new synaptic pathway. You wake up in the morning, open a thumbnail page, and it leads to a Pandora's box of visuals. There have probably been days when I saw 300 vaginas before I got out of bed. Well, what's your point about porn and relationships? Playboy asks. Mayor, internet pornography has absolutely changed my generation's expectations. How could you be constantly synthesizing an orgasm based on dozens of shots? You're looking for the one photo out of 100 you swear is going to be the one you finish to and you still don't finish. 20 seconds ago, you thought that photo was the hottest thing you ever saw, but you throw it back and continue your shot hunt and continue to make yourself late for work. How does that not affect the psychology of having a relationship with somebody? It's got to. Playboy, you seem very fond of pornography. When I watch porn, if it's not hot enough, I'll make up backstories in my mind. My biggest dream is to write pornography. So there you go. John Mayer, Solomon, maybe the wisest man to ever live other than than Jesus are saying, you need more and more and more. We're never satisfied with the pornography, with with the images, with the things that that we're seeing. Next week, we'll talk about sex, but from a different angle. Uh, So we're never satisfied enough. An orgasm, we we chase after. And yet when when we get that, we're not satisfied. We need to look toward the next one and what's going to lead to that. Well, here's the thing I, I'm going to say this morning, because I think Jesus says it very well, is that we weren't made for pornography. Uh, Playboy, which apparently doesn't show nudity anymore. I, I don't know. I didn't verify that. Uh, but, but Hustler, all, I don't even know if that's a thing anymore. Uh, Penthouse, all these former publications have, have now been kind of put away to the side and have to become journalists because you can get whatever you want online and don't have to pay for much. But we weren't made for pornography. Jesus says it in Matthew 27, Matthew 5, 27 to verse 30. And he says, he says this, 
Uh, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, uh, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go in hell. This is really awkward to do, by the way. Uh, <laughs> it's interesting. This is what Jesus says. So here's what was being taught in Jesus's day. The, the rabbis uh, who were teaching the Old Testament, Bible's broken up into two sections, Old Testament, New Testament, before Jesus, Jesus and the first mm, 90 years of church history, some of the letters we have during that time. The teachers of Jesus's day were saying, you don't want to commit adultery, which means that you don't put something into something else, all right? The physical act of adultery is sin. And Jesus is saying, ah, no, no, no. You thought that's what that was about? It's about something far deeper than that. I say to you, here's what the law was really saying in the Old Testament. If you lust after someone, which begins in your heart, right? You have a heart that wants to go after something that you don't yet have. You want to covet something that isn't yet yours. If you lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. So adultery begins with seeds of lust, so it means that, that so many of us are adulterers. When maybe you walked in this morning saying, surely I wouldn't be guilty of the sin of adultery. Well, Jesus says you are. Jesus says you are. And then Jesus says in this passage to put it to death. Don't let it sit around like a cute beta fish, right? There, there's not this beta fish. It's a shark that somehow can, can walk as well and devour you as you sleep in the night. We, we think of pornography as this thing that's not a big deal. We let it linger and hang out. It's not a real problem, but it's serious. Jesus says it's so serious that we should rip our eyes out over it. We should cut things off over this lust. And the seed of lust, porn just feeds it and causes it to grow into this monster. You see, we think Christianity, the Bible teaches that, that lust is sin against God. We believe in a God. We believe uh, in one God who, who exists as three persons, yet one God. We believe that the Bible is from God, that, that it's true, that, that you're not the exception to the rule. Some of you might be here today and say, ah, oh, I read this in the Bible, but I'm the exception. You're not the exception. You're deceived. You're deceived. There's a great deceiver we were praying against. We, we also believe in, in Satan. You might think we're ludicrous. It's okay. About 14 years ago, I did too. We believe in this enemy who wants to lie to us and keep us captive and, and, and not let us live free lives, but wants us to be enslaved. We believe that, that Jesus wants to free us from this. And, and I think that Jesus wants to do some of that this morning. We believe that, that lust in its seed form as it sits in our heart is sin and rebellion against God. It's the same exact thing as committing adultery. You know that people don't just have affairs. Did you know that? Affairs don't accidentally happen. Like, I don't know how she ended up on top of me in the copier room. Like that doesn't happen. It just doesn't. There, there was a planned intention. And even as she or he shows up in the copy room, at some point, other than, of course, horrific circumstances, there's a decision of, yes, I am going to go through with this. I am going to say yes 
to this, which if you're saying yes to it physically, it probably means you've already accepted it in your heart that I'm willing to do these things. But some of you might be here this morning and saying, you know, I don't really believe that porn's that big of a deal. I actually don't believe in God. So that whole thing that it's against God doesn't capture my attention. Fine. I have three points for you and for all of us. Uh, Number one, uh, porn destroys you. Porn makes you a slave. How does it do that? Well, I'm not a scientist, uh, but I know how to read some scientists. And here's what they say. Uh, Pornography hits the perfect storm. Creates this, this perfect storm of systems being activated at the same time, which, which essentially makes you an automatic slave. And you're sitting there saying, not me, man. Yeah, right. Okay, uh, here it is. When you view pornography, your visual system is going off. That's, that's great. And then if you participate in masturbation, which most people do when they're watching pornography, then your motor system and visual system are, are working together in collaboration. But not just that, your sensory system is also coming into it through genital stimulation. And not just that, your brain is saying, yay, this is good. The same little dopamine things you get from the little red buttons or Instagram followers or whatever. Um, the rewards, your brain is rewarding you for doing something that feels good to your body. So there's a euphoria and dopamine release and it floods your brain because it feels really good. And and you get done with that and your body says, that was awesome. That was amazing. That felt so good. And and you put those things in your mind. It's like eating a good food. Oh, I'm going to order that again. I took Malachi to India with me. He's seven. Uh, He ate spaghetti. Okay, we go to India, right? Indian food, amazing. I mean, I ate chicken masala and these noodle things. I don't even know what they're called. But they were so delightful in the belly the night of, the next morning. They always kind of hurt a little bit, but it's a good kind of hurt. Can't wait to eat this again later on. Uh, But my son had the spaghetti Alfredo. We never have Alfredo sauce because it's milk and like milk destroys our family apparently. But not him. He's Iron Belly Malachi. And so he tastes this Alfredo and it's like, oh Lord, where has this blessing been all my life? And every night he orders, and we went from restaurant to room service. Like he was just lounging, watching Spider-Verse, eating chicken Alfredo, spaghetti stuff. But I'm like, Malachi, do you want anything else? He's like, nope. He's like, get that white sauce stuff again. I'm like, you mean Alfredo? He's like, yep. I'm like, just say it. (laughs) Just say it. Doesn't. Because in his mind, it's like, that is good. Right? That was like a fifth day creation or something for Malachi. It was beautiful for him. That's what your body does with porn. That is good. That feels really, really good. And your body wants for you to keep ordering it. And here's what happens. Your brain actually gets changed. Your brain gets changed. There are neural pathways that are being carved out. Your brain is actually changing by you watching porn. You can read all kinds of articles about this. Talk to to Beth Alfred, uh, Lizzie Alfred, Alfred. I'm like struggling to get your name now. Went from Beth to Lizzie, Beth Gowan to Lizzie Alfred. Okay, uh, she understands this stuff. She, she studies the neurological stuff, you know? I can barely pronounce it. She studies it. She knows about it. She said, Dwight, that's true. What you're saying is true. That's what happens. It's an addiction that takes place. Listen to this story. 
uh, I get to the point where I simply couldn't get enough of such an apparently good thing. Porn is incredibly addictive. Why was I shooting up on porn so much? Perhaps all the sex in our society is helping us stay normal. Otherwise, we might all go mad. But we are all mad. So we go get more porn just to keep our sanity. And to make things worse, we don't even talk about it. We porn users are a secretive lot. Porn feeds our shadows. Porn is a media reflection of the damage in a relationship that we have to our sexual impulse. That impulse is beautiful. Again, this is, this is not a Christian writing, okay? That impulse is beautiful. It is what has brought every one of us here to earth. It should be celebrated, not banished to the provenance of hidden jerk-offs in an upstairs bathroom. Ultimately, I realized that I was using porno pleasure to feed a sense of lack without any regard for the women behind the scenes or how it was affecting my relationship to my wife or to sex. The dope had become heroin. How could I shake it? There's an addiction. It's destroying you. You don't think it is, but no heroin addict ever think it does. No alcoholic thinks that they're impacted. No gambling addict ever thinks that they're going to be the ones that can't get out of it. Don't deceive yourself. It's destroying you. And it's not just destroying you. It's destroying relationships. There was a a longitudinal study, the first longitudinal study done by a guy named Carl Rasmussen. It was done on porn and relationships between 1960 and 2014. And here's what he says. He's trying to to not be too overly scientific with all of this. Um, But here's what he says. That there's strong evidence, strong like capital letters strong, strong evidence that porn destroys family stability. Okay, so that's bad. Strong evidence that porn destroys family stability. But you might be saying, not me, not me, it's not going to destroy me. Okay, why do you use it? Why do you use pornography at all? Because here's what he does say. There's absolutely no positive finding to people using pornography. Let's just, let's just stop there. There's no positive finding for anyone using pornography. Meaning there's nothing good about it. Nothing between 1960 and 2014. You're like, yeah, but it's 2019. Okay. Can't wait till they do the next one and prove the same thing. All right. No positive finding. I underlined it in my notes. Important. Porn changes our expectations in the family. Listen, listen to this. Uh, a, an article written by Melinda Lazuski called Growing Up in Pornland. She said, girls and young women... Now, before I go on, I know that women also look at porn. I think 15 to 20% of pornography users are women. I, I'm generally speaking to men, though, okay? Because 80% to 85% of men are the ones that are, that are using porn, all right? But a lot of the articles, it's hard to find ones geared at women, okay? So I'm sorry that I'm not offending you women as well. I'll get to you, all right? Girls and young women are under a lot of pressure to give boys and men what they want, to become a real-life embodiment of what the boys have watched in porn, adopting exaggerated roles and behaviors and providing their bodies as mere sex aids. Growing up in today's porn culture, girls quickly learn that they are service stations for male gratification and pleasure. Doesn't that suck? 
We looked at the first week at the Imago Day that you are fearfully, wonderfully made in the image of God. And now, little girls, young ladies, 10 to 15 years old, are learning that they are just service stations for males' desires that they've watched on some porn movie. It's changing everything. It's absolutely impossible for you to just watch porn for fun. What's your hobby? Porn. You're going to destroy yourself and you're going to destroy your current family or future family. You're not the exception to this. You can't beat the statistics. You can't beat the market. It's destructive. Not only that, but you are becoming a disciple of someone else's fake sex life. Think about that. You're like, man, I can't wait to, to have sex with, with my spouse. But who are you learning from? You can't tell me that the porn that's taking place and that's selling and that John Mayer is talking about, John Mayer is saying that porn gets boring. I have to keep watching more and more and more. In fact, I want to direct it so it's my fantasies that are coming out. This is not real sex, folks. People don't live normal sex lives in that way. In fact, your bodies aren't even made to do some of the things that are taking place in these porns. And by watching porn, it actually reduces satisfaction in a a couple's lives. Because the spouse is always comparing the the other spouse to what they, they wish they were. Or they, they want to invite them in to watch something so that we could, we could try that. It reduces the satisfaction. And there's a huge correlation that Rasmussen found uh, between porn, divorce, and unhappiness. I mean, watching porn isn't something that we, we celebrate all together. Like, hey, everyone, let's get together and watch porn this weekend. It's, it's like people go and do this secretively, quietly. And then don't really talk about it unless there are other people that they feel safe that they can talk about it with and compare things that they've watched. Furthermore, it creates cynical attitudes about love, affection, and and marriage. There's no family-friendly porn section. There's no porn that's going to teach you how to be a better husband to your wife. There's no porn um, category that's going to teach you how to parent your children better. Right? Instead, porn creates cynical attitudes about, about love because in, in many men's minds, what they see on camera is what every woman should want. They should be ready to go whenever a man is ready to go. It's not about emotional intimacy. It's not about foreplay. It's not about let me love you and serve you and massage your feet and then let's end up into this. It's about, baby, I'm home. I was just working on the pool. Take off my shirt and let's get this going. Oh, good. I'm so glad you're home. Yes, please. And let's do these things. That's not the way that things work, but yet porn helps us to to think that this is the way that sex should be for all of us. Your, your attitude about love, affection, and marriage will be cynical. You will look at your spouse with, with disgust when they can't come through 
the way that you want them to come through because you watched a porn and they should live up to that. And some of you are here and you'll say, "Ah, I'm not married yet. I'll stop when I get married. Okay, buddy. Maybe, maybe you will. Maybe you will, but here's what you bring with you. Uh, Nancy Piercy's book uh, called Love Thy Body. She writes, pornography is literally training a generation of young people to violate Jesus' prescription by engaging in depersonalized sex. The mental habits taught by porn bleed into real relationships. You just need to know that if you watch porn and you get married, you bring all of that into the marriage bed with you. It's a fight not to think about that sometimes. Because men, like we, let me stereotype for a second, okay? We can forget anniversaries. We can forget birthdays. We can forget to take out trash. We can forget to do the dishes, but we remember every porn that we've ever watched. And I'm not joking. It just gets burned into our our visual Rolodex. And I know Rolodex is like a a bad analogy to use, but it's this ancient thing from ancient times where you actually write with your hand and a pencil and pen people's names with their address and phone number on a piece of paper. And it turns like, so you can go through the alphabet and find people. And that's the way that our, our minds are. It's like scrolling. There we go. You know, back in the times, all right? It's like scrolling. Our minds can just scroll all day long through the images of what we've seen before. When you get married, even if you stop watching then, you will still struggle with this. It will come. Finally, uh, porn not only destroys you and destroys relationships, but um, porn, uh, for some reason this isn't working, porn destroys others. Porn destroys others. It, It abuses them. Pornography abuses other, other people. We might think, ah, but, but they want it. You're watching this, this movie, this clip, and you're like, ah, but they want it. How's it abusing? Uh, how, how's me watching this abusing them? I know they want it. Well, let me give you two great quotes from a, a woman named Belle Knox. This is not her real name, uh, her, her stage name, her porn name, whatever. It says this, she says this. This is what she said just as she was starting to get into pornography. Uh, She said, porn is empowering, freeing, and the way the world should be. In porn, everything is on my terms. I can say no when I want. I am in control. Well, a few years later, as as Belle Knox was trying to come out of the industry, here's what she said. A lot of, um, I'll just say stuff. A lot of stuff in my life has been ruined because of sex. And she goes on in the article to describe all of the things that had become broken. Porn is absolutely brutal. Absolutely brutal for the people who are performing for you and for I. It's brutal during the filming. You think, man, I remember being in university my first year and it's like dream dream job, you know, of so many guys that I was playing baseball with was like, man, if I could just do porn, like dream job. Uh, I'm going to need help uh, clicking to the next slide. Here, here's a quote from uh, Alexa Milano. Uh, 
my first movie, I was treated very rough by three guys. They pounded on me, gagged me, tossed me around. I was sore, hurting, could barely walk. Porn is brutal for the people in the middle of filming. The next slide will be from a a woman named Nisa. She said, I hate life. I'm a mess, a disaster. I've attempted suicide many times. No one cares about a dead porn star or stripper. You know what? Here's the thing. All this abuse is taking place. Do you know who's doing the abusing? You and I. We are. Those who are watching, we're the ones contributing to the abuse. We're the ones who are cheering on the abuse through our, through our viewing. We're culprits. We're involved. Many of the, the people who, who end up involved in pornography come from a, a trafficked place in life, like they were brought out of where they were and forced to be in this, or through prostitution. It's not just a like, yeah, I was hanging out with my, my mom and dad the other day and my grandparents, everything was amazing. And then I, I got a job offer to be a porn star and like, yeah, I mean, what the heck? So I took it. There aren't many stories like that. We're contributing to this. So let me go back to what I said at the beginning. You and I weren't made for porn. We weren't made for it. Genesis uh, 2.25, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the creation account that the first man, first woman in the garden together, paradise together, naked, no clothes, naked in every way, were unashamed. That nakedness doesn't necessarily mean shame. You can be naked and not be ashamed in certain circumstances. That we were made for for this. We were made to be naked with a certain person and to be open and and to live without shame. But when we're naked, as we're engaging in, in viewing pornography, there's shame that comes with it. You're not being naked and unashamed. There's shame. Exodus chapter 20, verse three says, you shall have no other gods before me. This is God speaking. And for, for many who are watching porn, this is their God. This is the God that they're looking to, to satisfy their orgasmic needs. Furthermore, in Exodus 20, verse 14, I believe, says this. It says this somewhere. There we go. You shall not commit adultery. We've already seen that we are committing adultery in our hearts. And then Exodus 20, verse 17 says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or female serpent, servant or ox or donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. And yet porn is coveting. It's saying, I wish that I was there. It's, it's trying to replace the, the, the man or woman with yourself that I'm the one that's doing this. We're trying to create this this portal into this situation so that we can experience this. And here's what it does. It just leaves us empty. It leaves us chasing wind. It's vanity. It's all vanity. And yet Jesus says that he wants what's best for you. So many of us think that that God is this, this stodgy old man who just wants things done like our grandparents would want them done. 
right? Grandparents are outdated. They can't really, they don't, they're not up at the times. They talk about Rolodexes, not scrolling, right? They're, they're so outdated. And we think that of God. And yet God is always fashionable. He's, he's the one that all fashion revolves around. Except we find him and our culture colliding, not, not coinciding. And we think that God doesn't want what's best for us, but God absolutely does want what's best for us. He wants for you to experience his creation in the way that he has created it. He doesn't want for you to learn about sex through your computer. He wants for you to learn about sex with a person in front of you that's covenanted with you for the rest of their lives. That you guys are going to become very good at sex together through practice. You're going to disciple one another. This feels good when you do this. This doesn't feel good. Not, hey, honey, come here. This lady said this feels good. We're going to try this. That God made us for real people in the circumstance and covenant and safety of marriage. And God is serious about this problem. And and we'll look at this in just a second. But do you look at porn? Do you look at porn? I'm not looking for hands. I'm not looking for admissions. But do do you look at porn? If you do, you're guilty. You're guilty of abuse of yourself. You're guilty of abusing others. And you're destroying a relationship, present or future. You are. You're guilty. And not only that, you're guilty before God, a perfect and holy God. And you must be forgiven. You can't scrub the guilt from your conscience. Secondly, if you look at porn, you feel shame. I, I know you feel shame. How many of you would love, as you're watching a porn, a porno, to have a parent walk in the room? No. Do you know why? Because you would feel shame even greater. You feel shame as, as you watch pornography. Someone has to remove that. If you look at porn, you're obviously searching for pleasure. And, and the pleasure is not a bad thing, but the pleasure needs to be redirected. There's a problem with pornography. So how does all of this take place? How can we be, be forgiven? How can our shame be removed? How can our pleasure be redirected? How? Because here's the deal. You can't leave here today and be like, man, yeah, I feel that. I'm guilty. I feel shame. I'm going to go make it right. You can't go and apologize to all of the porn stars that you've looked at. You can't go make it right. You can't unwatch that. There's no vortex you can be sucked into to take away all of the things that you have done. You're guilty. And nothing, nothing that you do will be able to remove that. That's the bad news. You can't undo the past on your own. You can't make it right. But what if someone could make it right for you? What if someone could, could remove the guilt and could remove the shame? What if someone could redirect the pleasure of your heart? Let me read to you John 8, 3 through 11. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, placing her in the midst. They said to him, to Jesus, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? 
This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground, like just checked out. As they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. I mean, the woman is caught, red-handed. She has nothing to say. She is guilty of being an adulterer. Guilt, shame, label, all there, fair for Jesus to label her in this way. But what does Jesus do? Jesus lets her go uncondemned. For those of you who like justice, you're like, what? How does this woman get away free? I got caught taking a cookie. This woman gets caught on a man and she gets to go and I'm disciplined for three weeks in my room as a cookie. Obviously I have issues from childhood to work through still. (laughs) But Jesus lets her go uncondemned. How does he do that? I thought Jesus was just. Well, he is. He's perfectly just. But he's also gracious. But how do those two go together? How does grace, receiving a gift that you don't deserve, and and justice, receiving what you do deserve, how do those play together? It's like oil and vinegar. They'll They'll never fully come together. You can't make it happen. Well, here's how. Jesus could let her go uncondemned because Jesus was going to go to the cross and be condemned for her. Jesus was going to wear her guilt. He was going to take her shame. He was going to take her label as an adulterer and the the penalty, which is death for her sin. He was going to wear all that on himself on the cross. That's why Jesus went to the cross for perverts, porn watchers, adulterers, liars, thieves, and people who are so prideful that when they heard that list, they're like, I'm none of those. Well, then you're proud. And Jesus died for you too. That Jesus goes to the cross. He becomes all of these things. He who didn't know sin at all, never sinned, never rebelled in his life against God. He goes to the cross and wears sin, becomes sin for us. He dies and then rises again so that we could receive an eternal identity, one that death can't take away. One that death will never remove. And that new identity is an eternal child of God, beloved of the Father. You see, our hope is in the resurrection. As followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, our hope is in the resurrection. If Jesus died and he's in a grave somewhere, I have no hope at all. We can just follow his example, but I suck at following examples. I am not a good example follower. I need his resurrection power to actually move into me and change. I tried to be a Christian when I was 16 for about two days. Um, There's another kid in my school. He was was a great Christian. I still went to church at that point, church gatherings. And that kid never said anything bad. And I'm like, yeah, 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 that's it. That's what a Christian is. He's someone that doesn't say anything bad, right? Such a skewed view of, of Christianity. And... There, there's a certain word that begins with F, which I won't say. 
And I could not stop saying it. I'm from New England. If you watch a, a movie from Boston, that word is everywhere. It's, it's used with genius, actually. It's like an adjective, verb, a noun, an adverb. Somehow we've made it an adverb, right? Just all the time. I couldn't stop doing that. And I, I came to the understanding that I can't be a follower of Jesus if I can't even stop saying words that, that culturally are bad. I'm not, I can't do this. You can't do this. But Jesus dies to pay for your guilt and shame. He rises so that you can have a new identity, even as you still struggle with pornography. If, you're, if you say, Jesus, I need you. I want you. I need you to forgive me. You're brought into the family of God. Porn never gets you kicked out of the family of God. But as you become more and more like Jesus, you want it less and less. It's gonna become nauseous in your mouth. You're gonna get this like weird chunk in the back of your throat. Probably not physical, that'd be strange, but maybe you need that. Maybe we need to pray for that for you. But it's, you become nauseous for that thing because, because your appetites are becoming more and more like Jesus. Here's what hope and resurrection does. It gives us new starts. You might've heard that first part and be like, man, this is hard. I can't do this. Well, the the gospel, the good news of Jesus's life, death and resurrection says you can have a new start. You can have a new chance. You can have a new life. You can have new desires. You can have a new heart and it's never gonna end. It's gonna go on and on and on. This is a grace that never ends and it goes on and on, my friend. It just doesn't stop ever. This is what Jesus brings to the table in his resurrection. So this woman, this woman who is caught is now free from the penalty of sin. She doesn't need to be separated from God forever because she looked at Jesus that day as the one who could take away her sin. And the same can be said of you. The penalty of sin is eternal death and separation from pleasure who is God. You were made for him. You're gonna be separated from him if you don't know him already. But he says, come to me. Come to me, you porn addicts. Come to me, those who abuse other people, and I will give you grace. I will love you. I will change you. God is not a God who says, don't come near me, you're too disgusting, or come so I can hit you with a bat. He says, come to me so I can give you grace. Not only that, but Jesus brings freedom from the power of sin. So you and I can now begin to fight the temptations that we have when you're like, ah, I wanna look at porn. Again, there's a spirit of God that now dwells in you that's gonna help you fight and put that to death. And there's so many stories in this room of of people that I know who said, yeah, the spirit has helped me fight to put this thing to death. That there's power in the spirit to do that. And not only that, But Jesus one day is actually gonna remove the presence of sin. One day porn will not exist anymore. One day guilt will not exist anymore. One day shame will not be there anymore. One day people will not be human trafficked for sex. All that will be gone. It'll be done away with because Jesus is coming back to remake the world and there'll be no sin at all. That's what you're invited into. This woman gets caught on top of a guy one day and this is what she leaves with. Grace. You have to be caught though. You have to let yourself be caught. Jesus invites you today to be caught. He knows what you're doing. You're like, I don't want to admit this. Okay, but here's what we believe about God, that he's 
omniscient, that he knows all things. He's omnipresent. So when you shut your bedroom door and you're like, ah, it's all in secret, the spirit of God's there. People who struggle with pornography, the first thing I do is I say, hey, before you're gonna go and and watch porn and jerk off, what you should do is you should invite the spirit of God to be there with you. And they're like, oh, I'm like, yeah, no, he's already there. So you might as well just acknowledge him like, hey, spirit. You can't, at that point, it's like, oh, I'm like, I'm really, really going for this. It's like, yeah, really, really go for it then. And then if, if you do that, then ask the spirit to, to change you, right? As soon as you're done, it's like, spirit, change me. And, and you might hear that and be like, oh, good. There's, there's my way in. Just ask the spirit to be there and ask the spirit for help after. But here's the thing. The spirit's going to begin to destroy that desire, that's what it means to be gospel-centered is that even when we sin, we, we immediately turn back to the Lord and say, Lord, I am sorry, I need you. I need you to change me. Jesus invites you to be caught. He wants freedom for you. Um, there is a, a quote attributed to G.K. Chesterton that's not really from him. It's from a guy I'd never heard of named Bruce Marshall in this novel called The World, the Flesh, and Father Smith. And, and here's, here's what he says. Next slide will say what I'm gonna say. Here we go. The young man who rings the bell at the brothel is unconsciously looking for God. Your porn endeavors are actually you looking for God. You're like, I'm an atheist. No, you're not. Porn's your God. Money's your God. Comfort's your God. Security's your God. We, we, none of us are atheists, really. We all worship something. What you worship is, is your God, so your endeavors of porn are actually looking for God. And here's the good news for us today. He's, he's here. He's here with us right now. You can find him. In fact, he's finding you or he's found you. And so here's my challenge uh, for this morning. I, I have three of them. The first one is that some of you are here and you've never met Jesus before. And this morning you need to meet him. And some of you are coming in with like this bag load of, of I remember being in university and the, I would drive home an hour and a half to drop off laundry, right? And the bags that I would drag in with me were, were massive and took forever to do. Some of you are coming like that. You're like, man, I have porn. I have, um, I'm obviously abusing people now. Apparently I'm an adulterer. I, I'm lying. I'm cheating. I'm, I'm whatever, Right? We come in with these bags full. And Jesus says, yeah, yeah, bring them. Get them all. Get them all. Don't leave one back. Bring them all to me. Because I want to forgive you for all of them. And not just these ones that are in the bags, but the ones that are going to come. I want to forgive you for all those too. And I want to give you a new name, child of God. And I want to put my spirit into you. And I want to I bring you close to me. And I'm going to bring you to be with me forever. This is the invitation. Take it. Jesus is everything that you're looking for. You can meet him today. You don't have to stand up and declare it out loud. You can say, right where you are, Jesus, I need you. I need you to forgive me of all this. I need you to take the guilt, the shame, and I need you to make me yours. And you will be a disciple of Jesus. You will be what we would call a Christian. And then you begin following him and being changed to be like him. And you can leave here uncondemned. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Therefore, there's no condemnation for you ever again. 
Jesus has removed it. The second challenge I have, though, is for some of you, you've been following Jesus for a long time and, and your porn addiction, your porn habits are just like someone who hasn't been following Jesus. And some of you have willfully been pursuing it. You know it's wrong and you keep going after this constantly. So my challenge for you is confess that today. And don't just confess it, but repent. Confessing it is, is saying it, but repenting is I'm going this way. My life is all around porn. I think about how and when I can do it, when my roommates will be away, uh, what this will look like. And, and then turn to say, no, Jesus, I want you more than I want that. That's what repentance is. It's putting, it's putting to death that way that you were going before and, and pursuing him. And you need to f- receive forgiveness from the Lord. You need to do some, some crazy steps today. Jesus talks about cutting it off. Your right eye causes you to stumble, rip it out. Get rid of it. Your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Jesus isn't saying literally cut it off. Jesus is saying, what causes you to sin? You're like, well, I look at porn on my computer. Great, throw away your computer. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. How am I gonna do work? I don't know, libraries have computers. You're like, ah, you're a little bit too extreme. Do you wanna put this thing to death or not? And maybe you don't need to actually throw away your computer, but maybe you just need other people around you to be able to to look at your computer. Maybe you need uh, a software that goes on your internet. And I hear it from from some of our staff. We have this thing called Covenant Eyes. We put on our our systems and I'll, I'll hear one of them. They're like searching something that's not bad at all. And they're like, dang it, Covenant Eyes. I'm like, what? They're like, they're blocking me again. I'm like, well, isn't that amazing? that we have the, this, this internet thing that, that annoys us a bit, but it's one, one layer that keeps us further away from just easily following into viewing pornography. And that won't save you. The problem is deep. You can, you can find ways around that if you want, but it, but it helps. But this is a serious problem. Men and women, this is a really serious problem. It goes deep. It needs radical measures. And, and it's today that it gets dealt with. Don't wait don't wait, deal with it today. We're not gonna be talking about porn again for quite some time probably. Deal with it today. Get other men or women around you to help you fight this. See, only repentance in the spirit will cause you to succeed in overcoming this. You can't do it on your own. And the third, this is probably the least uncomfortable the third challenge that I have is for those of you who are married. Now, I, I'm gonna speak to the men specifically, but ladies, if this applies to you, then you need to take this as well. But couples who are married, um, let me speak to the ladies first. Uh, I'm gonna ask your husbands to confess to you um, they're, they're viewing porn. I'm gonna ask them to do that this week. So ladies, here's what you need to be ready for. You need to prepare your hearts. Because if your husband confesses looking at porn, your heart's going to be broken. It's going to hurt a lot. You're going to have lots more questions. And so to prepare for, for this, you're going to have to ask the Lord for his heart of compassion not to be an enemy to your spouse and punish him, but to actually have compassion that he's bought into the lie that, that porn has promised. 
And then what I want you to do this week is actually ask your husband, do you look at porn? When was the last time you looked at porn? How often do you look at porn? When we're having sex, do you think about porn? These are going to be really hard conversations. Really hard. But here's what you get to do. You get to help him come out of hiding if he's been involved in pornography. You get to help him come into the light. You get to help him confess, maybe for the first time, his slavery to this. Now, you will be angry. And I would say that your anger is justified. If you're not angry, that, that's strange to me. That you should be angry. You will feel betrayed, but here's the reality. Jesus was betrayed for you. Jesus was betrayed so that you could be brought into the family of God. Jesus understands betrayal. And so as you're working through this with, with your spouse, understand, Jesus, you know exactly what I'm feeling. And you want to help me. And you want to help him. But prepare your hearts to minister to your spouse. I also want to say, ladies, there's help available. If, if, if your husband tells you, like, yes, I have been doing this. We, we have lots of help. We want to come around you. We want to help your marriage. We want to help them put to death pornography. Ladies, if you're watching pornography, we want to help you put that to death as well. But you got to let us know. We can't magically work our way into your room, nor do we want to. You have to say, I need help. Men, know that I'm, I'm asking your wives, right? You can fully blame this on me, Right? Men, I'm asking your wives to approach you, but here's the good news for you. You can be free. You can be really free. Freedom will will bring your relationship completely into the light. Freedom involves confession to your wife. You've secretly been destroying your family. So now you can confess and repent. You can finally begin working through this. I think it'd be a beautiful thing, husbands, if you went home and before your wife even asked you, listen, don't do this on the way home today. Don't like get in the subway and be like, so um, we've got a quorum, right? Let me ask you a few questions. Don't do it with the kids around if they're kids. Make sure that this is a, a private, intimate thing that you're working through together. But men, you can be free. You can see your marriage actually begin to thrive because it hasn't been thriving if you've been keeping a, a secret porn thing on the side. You've been influenced by this, whether you believe it or not. Now, men, women, this will be painful. This is going to be very hard to do, but we can't let this sin rule and reign any longer. It has to die. And our new identity in Christ and the spirit of God working with us equips us to be able to actually kill this. So how are we going to respond today? We're going to respond through prayer. Um, Maybe you feel like I just flipped over a bunch of tables in your life. That wasn't me. Jesus already knows about them. Here's what Jesus did in the temple. He walked into the temple. The temple had become this thing that the temple wasn't supposed to be. Jesus walks in, he flips over tables, drives everyone out, gets rid of the animals. And he's like, this is going to be a house of prayer. 
So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to pray together. Uh, all up front, not, not here, but like just behind this front section, there's a big space. Leave some space here for people to leave. But I'm going to ask people to come down and pray. And you're like, man, I'm not coming down because the minute I come down, everyone's going to be like, oh, that's the porn addict that, G- that Dwight was talking about. No, that's not what we're doing. But Jesus flips over tables in our lives so that, so that we can talk to him and communicate with him about it. So I'm going to ask people during our response time to come down and, and pray. And there's nothing magical about coming down and praying, but there's a collectiveness to coming down and praying. There, there's a, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to partner with these people together in, in my prayers. And as we were getting ready before the gathering, we, we were praying that this whole section, the Spirit of God, would be moving and causing people to repent and, and even seeing people who are struggling with this so that they can approach it, that, that ladies would receive grace to be able to give to their husbands who are struggling with it. I think that Jesus just wants to free people from this today. So we're going to invite people to come forward and pray that you might be coming forward for yourself. You might be coming for others that you know are enslaved to this. It could be a sibling. It could be a spouse. It could be a friend. It could be a son or daughter, but you know that they're enslaved and trapped. Come down and pray for them and then come down and pray for the city. Now, today is St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day is not all about leprechauns and green beer. That might be a revelation to you. I don't know. It's about St. Patrick, who was enslaved into the, the people who lived in Ireland. He escaped, and then he went back to these people. And he brought good news of Jesus back to them. They had a lot of sex. They had a lot of slavery. They had a lot of drunkenness. They had a lot of wars between themselves. And the gospel of Jesus made it into that place. And Ireland was changed. And it became this global movement. And so I I just think it's fitting on St. Patrick's Day that we would also come forward and pray for our city that our city would be freed from sexual addictions, that our, free, our city would be free from trafficking men and women and boys and girls into uh, prostitution and pornography, that our city would be free and that the heart of Jesus would move, that, that people as we're, we're getting together to watch the St. Patrick's Day parade, which is far too cold to watch a not great parade, I, I don't think. But anyway, that as people are getting together, that their hearts would be dissatisfied with sexual addictions and that people would long for the Lord, that there would be a, a spiritual hunger that was put in their hearts. So during our singing time, I, I want to invite you all, I don't know if all of us can fit down there, but to come forward and pray for yourself, for others, for the city. Because there's hope for pornography. There's hope for every sin because Jesus is alive. Let me pray. Lord, thank you that you are alive. Thank you that you have conquered um, sin, Satan, death, and hell. Thank you that there's freedom in you. Thank you that you, Father, love us. You look at us and, and you, you don't see dirty, rotten, nasty. You see your children and you love us. Your love moves toward us in, in grace and you wanna free us. So we ask for that freedom this morning. I pray that you would put it in our hearts to pray for others, that you would give us names and, and 
things specifically that we need to be praying for and that you would cause for great freedom and liberation to take place in this city. That the city wouldn't be known as, as a city of sex, but this place would be known as a city of Jesus where Jesus rules and reigns. And, and his, his rule is a good rule where, where people understand that what Jesus wants is actually what's best for us even when our, our hearts disagree with that. Help us to respond in prayer this morning. This, this is not about us. It's all about you. We love you. Amen.